Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And a good Tuesday, Birds fans. Birds 365 ready to come your way for the next two hours. Right here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. If you linked in via phillyvoice.com, welcome. We appreciate you doing that. And uh, as we start to move along here in week number three of Birds 365, our community is growing. We get a couple more guys uh, showing up on our stream each and every single day. Our YouTube numbers are are growing. We want to just run this thing right off the table. So uh, for those of you who are already part of the Birds 365 community, feel free to go ahead and share us with all your buddies on YouTube. Uh, we just want to talk to that many more people day in and day out. And if there's a week to hop in, this is it. The week before the week of the NFL draft. And that is going to be a main topic of conversation with us here today. Us being yours truly, Jody McDonald, and my partner, the other half of Mac and Mac, John McMullen. Good morning, JM. How is your Tuesday so far? So far, so good, Jody. You're right. We're gearing up for the draft, and obviously this is the week where everybody puts the finishing touches on their draft boards. They're having pre-draft meetings, and we're going to have uh, Blake Bettingfield on in hour two, who's a, a great guest because he used to be the director of college scouting for the Tennessee Titans. So he understands how to put together those boards. He understands these last days leading up to the draft. So I think it's apropos to have him on in hour one. A good friend of ours is coming up. You can let the fans in on that. Yes, uh, Jeff Mosher uh, is going to hop aboard with us. Uh, probably a good 40 minutes into the show, but he will hop aboard uh, hour one. And then, as you mentioned, uh, draft-centric hour number two, but before we get the most, before we get talking about the draft, I do want to ask you this. Last night, uh, after I put all my Birds 365 stuff away, turned my attention to a couple other Philadelphia teams. That would be the 76ers at home, taking on the uh, Golden State Warriors last night. Steph Curry is on one of the greatest streaks I've ever seen a guard have in the history of the NBA. Oh, by the way, he's the greatest shooter in the history of the game of basketball. Uh, and I don't even think he's the greatest shooter in his family, Jody. That's how good Dell was. Well, Dell was good. Not as good as his son. The 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 son is surpassed the father. Who, uh, by oh, the and way, every other player who's ever played in the NBA. No, he's a better. He's the greatest shooter ever. He, he, he's definitely a better player. That's no question. The question is, you know, pure shooter. But I will say this: Who knew shooting was hereditary? I mean, what the heck is hmm. Dell doing? That makes his sons shoot the basketball so well. It's amazing. 
I think it's one of those nature versus nurture things. Oh, nature met nurture and they developed Steph Curry, who is the greatest shooter of all time. Uh, just scary what he's doing. He did it last night to the Sixers again, 10 wow, three, he just killed them. And they got beat. Uh, it was, the Sixers are playing well enough. They were without Ben Simmons and uh, Tobias Harris last night. So I'm not going to lose any sleep over the fact that they lost the game, albeit at home where they're, almost unbeatable over the last two years. Uh, but I'm I'm not going crazed about that. And then I was go- going back and forth between the Sixers and the Phillies, and the Phillies got shut out. Yes, a Gabe Kapler-managed team rubs a little salt in the wounds, uh, but they left a small <laughs> tribe on base, 11 runners on base last night, so they got nobody to blame but themselves for their lack of offense. But I couldn't believe last night. And I, I heard it on Sunday which annoyed me no end. And last night was the first chance I had to get on the Philadelphia airwaves uh, to talk about this. And then they doubled down and did it again last night. While the Phillies are playing, the E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles kid (laughs) could be heard at the Phillies game last night. According to our buddy, Brendan Lee Gouton, I didn't particularly hear this. I heard a couple of uh, Dallas sucks chants. But apparently, according to Brandon Lee, he heard fire Howie chants at the Phillies game last night. Well, that one I get. The E-A-G-L-E-S <laughs> Eagles, I don't understand because the Phillies are five and five, uh, eight and eight. They're 500. They fell back to 500 with the loss last night. It's not like they're two and 14. They're eight and eight. And we're chanting the name of a team that just finished up a four, 11 and one season. I think. Got a couple calls on this last night on my show, Johnny Mac. You're a smart sports fan here in Philadelphia, Eagle reporter, fan of all the other teams. What the hell is going on with fans going to Phillies games to scream out the E-A-G-L-S, E-A-G-L-E-S no, yes. Um, Jody, we talked about this yesterday with Mike Gill, the passion of this fan base for the Philadelphia Eagles. It Hey, to be honest, it's amazing to me that what you said, they're coming off a four-win season. This is a bad football team where they want the general manager fired, where we have a first-year rookie head coach, and they're chanting Eagles at a Phillies game. You know, what you mentioned about the Sixers, and I agree with you, by the way, where you said you're not worried about it because Ben Simmons is not there, Tobias Harris is not there, completely 100% correct. But you can say that almost about every modern NFL NBA game because, you know, the Sixers are playing the Nets in this big Eastern Conference showdown. Kevin Durant's not there, you know? So the Nets can say, what does it mean? When you devalue the regular season, and let's be honest, just by the numbers, 162 versus 16, now 17, 82 versus 16, now 17, football's going to be bigger on, on a game day. The games are more meaningful But then I think you have that back end where, let's be honest, I mean, a baseball game in April, you're not going to be thinking about it in October. Either your team's in it or they're not. And even in the NBA, when your team's near the top of the standings, late in the season, you're correctly saying, ah, who cares? What does that tell you about the regular seasons of these sports? Here's Here's why I care. You're paying to go, oh, you right? Said, who cares? There, there are no expen- <laughs> inexpensive tickets to a sporting no, event. No, well, that part I agree with. And right now, with uh, COVID related and smaller arenas and the like, you're shelling out good money. I got buddies who are Sixer fans, 
and they're actually season ticket holders and they, they had their choice to use money that they had accrued for this year on tickets for this year or hold out. They weren't <laughs> obligated to go and they were planning on going to some games. But then they saw what the ticket prices were and they said, well, no, we'll wait till the play. We're going to spend yeah, that kind of money. Yeah. We'd rather spend it on a playoff game than a regular season game. These are guys who had tickets for all 41 home games during a regular season, 82-game season. And they said, no, we don't like the price of these. So that'll tell you how expensive it is to go. If you're spending that kind of money, are you really spending that kind of money to go to a Phillies game to chant E-A-G-L-E-S? I would go to watch the Phillies. Otherwise, well, you and you're not I getting would. my cash. You and I, because we're sports fans and we're saying, but I think a lot of people, and I'll go back to Mike Gill, he brought this up as well again. I think a lot of people go to it as a night out, as an entertainment vehicle, as a date to go meet somebody, to go do something and ask for an alley, whatever. I, I don't think a lot of people look at it like you and me anymore, where we're going to watch the game. It's become more of an entertainment vehicle on just a night out, like going to dinner, going to the movies, a very expensive night out. And that's yeah. how you kind of turn yourself into it. Look, Greg Popovich and San Antonio Spurs were the first team to do this, load management, so to speak. As Tim Duncan got uh, older, as Tony Parker get, got older, and I remember, I was covering the NBA at the time. I remember people having this argument. They're they're saying they're paying major league bucks for this team, which is one of the best teams in the league. And they show up, they buy their tickets early because they know Tim Duncan's coming to town. And all of a sudden, he doesn't play. And you started looking at the NBA commissioner, David Stern first, now Adam Silver, and saying, what are you going to do about this? I don't know what you can do about it. To be honest, I don't think it's a solvable problem. I think these teams have done the cost-benefit analysis. We always talk about analytics versus um, um, scouting versus personnel. We always talk about, and they said, it's more important to have our superstars when it counts. And these games, by nature, don't mean anything. And that part you agree with because you said it, because you don't care that the Sixers lost. And I agree with you. Because Ben Simmons isn't there, Tobias Harris isn't there. It doesn't mean anything. But that works both ways. Well, I, it, it, I, I said it the way that I said it, if you need me to further define it for you. Oh, I'm not happy that the Sixers lost. It bothers me that the Sixers lost. I'm just not in full-fledged, all-blown-out panic because they got beat by the Warriors. Because you're a that, smart man, and you it, know it that mean, it's not the Sixers. The Sixers didn't get beat. The Sixers on April nineteenth got beat without two of their best two of their best three players. So that context is is baked into that. And oh, by the way, I didn't hear any Eagles chants at the Sixers games. I guess you need to be first in your conference to avoid having Eagle chants break out at a Philadelphia sporting event. If you're only eight and seven, then you're not quite good enough. You could get an Eagles chant at your game. And the thing that really annoyed me, and again, we'll get to the Eagles in a second, folks, I promise. It happened on Sunday. Sunday, my guy. Aaron Nola had his first ever complete game shutout, 10 strikeouts, two hits, complete domination, and the Eagles champ breaks out in the middle of it. Uh, what are you doing to the poor kid? 
I got to go on the radio and fight yeah. all the time and say he's an ace. And people go, oh, he's not really. He's a good two on a really good team. He'd only be a three. He's an ace. He's one of the top 20 starters in baseball. That makes him an ace in my book. He proves it on Sunday. He's in the midst of proving it. And here we go with E-A-G-L-E-S. Uh, stop. Please stop, Eagles fans. I, I get was going to say. about your team. I was going to say maybe they were in awe of Steph Curry and what he was doing, but then you bring up Nola and he's twirling a, a brilliant, uh, uh, a brilliant game and they do do it. So yeah, maybe you got to be really good. And when the Phillies were really good, they didn't have Eagles chance. So you can't be mediocre. You can't be bad. You got to be really, really good. You got to be at the top of your conference. Good. And maybe you'll shut them up. But you'll probably hear a couple fire howies, even if it's at the concession stand. I, I wonder <laughs> if there were any E-A-G-L-E-S chants breaking out at the Novacare Complex yesterday. Because yesterday was the first day of voluntary workouts around the National Football League. And I did see a, a several reports on teams that had guys show up even after statements were put forth through the <laughs> NFLPA that players are going to not show up for voluntary workouts. Virtually, yes. If there's going to be computer gatherings, oh, they'll be there for that. But actually show up at facilities around the National Football League, not happening, including the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, I was looking all day for a report as to how many people. I thought maybe one of the intrepid reporters, one of your guys, would be down there with either a uh, camera or just well, we can't. No, we can't be down there. We're barred from the facility, COVID protocols. So. I, I understand. There is there an entrance and an exit to a driveway? There is somewhere? an exit and, and an entrance, but there is a gate. There is a security gate. So you got to look through tinted windows, which is not the easiest thing to do. Or certain guys, you know, what cars they drive. Right. Um, God bless you if you want to go do that. But that, that, That's the links that I was wondering if someone would go to. Yeah. It looks like that's not the case. I'm not knocking or mocking or questioning no, anybody. But you know when what? they're doing E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles chance at Phillies games, I thought it might merit, merit an Eagle beat reporter down there with a checklist. All right, this guy showed up. It didn't show up. We got seven guys who showed up. To, I just thought it was a possibility. Well, you know why? It's to be honest, April 19th, which was yesterday, that's the start of phase one of NFL OTAs. It's not that important. There's no on field work. There's no work with the coaches. It basically is just, just, you know, using the facility to, to keep in shape and, and work out with the strength and conditioning staff. So, um, A, it's not that important. Uh, but B, you know, there is something to, Nick Sirianni hosting his first virtual meeting with the whole team. That part uh, did happen yesterday, was able to confirm that. That part's important. The working out part, you know, interesting. I spent too much of my life, Jody, trying to track down people at the NFLPA to, to figure out what the heck is going on here because they announced statements that were not showing up. Certain players show up to work out. And, you know, they're trying to play kind of what I said with the NBA and load management. They're they're trying to play both sides of the fence. So there are players in this league, and you mentioned yesterday the Green Bay Packers are most noted for this. Uh, they have about $5 million in total tied to workout bonuses because nobody wants to come to Green Bay in the offseason. They all want to go to Florida and Texas, California, as everybody does. 
Um, so they put these um, clauses in the contracts to get players to show up in the offseason. Now, what the NFLPA has done and said, okay, it's money, you know, everything's about money, as you know, Jody. If you guys have that in your contract, go ahead, show up. But they've made it very clear to the agents in the future, please do not negotiate these contracts because they spend a lot of time, you know, negotiating the CBA to put this voluntary tag so the veteran players don't have to show up. So the NFLPA wants those workout bonuses to go away completely. But, you know, they're trying to fight this fight, and they already exist. So it's it's a difficult fight. Right. But here's where they, they can say whatever they want. They can work with the agents who are uh, in doing their work with the players. Let's try and eliminate. Let's not have a reason. Let's try and get voluntary to mean voluntary. And the only way I could do that <laughs> is uh, get workout bonuses taken out of contract. You don't think the teams recognize that and realize that and will now use that in negotiations? Here's the reason why workout bonuses are, uh, I think, something that a players and agents should want. It's basically guaranteed. All you have to do is show up. If you show up, you get that money. That's as good as, almost as good as a signing bonus. It's got a little codicil attached. Yeah, you actually have to show up. You don't have to be good. You don't have to uh, go crazy. With your, all you got to do is show up and you get that check. If not, the teams will say, all right, we'll take the workout bonuses out, but we'll just add it into your regular salary for the season. Oh, but if you get cut, you don't get that money. The workout bonus, you get it as soon as you show up. Hey, go to camp. You may or may not make the team. You've already cashed that check. You got that in your back pocket. If it's just tied into your salary for the season, oh, shoot, you didn't make the key team. You don't actually get that money. Yeah, is he, I can tell you how the negotiations are going to go. The agents are going to say, we want it as a signing bonus. Teams say, we're going to give it to you in salary. Uh, we want it as a signing bonus. We're going to give it to you in salary. All right, let's meet in the middle, make it a workout bonus. Oh, we can't do that because the union said we can't. Well, we moved. If I'm the owners, we tried. We tried to find a middle ground to get your guy more money. Well, but you're turning that down, so you're only giving us one option. We have well, to give you that much say, more as a signing bonus. I will say, Jody, we're not talking about big numbers at all. We're talking about and and by the way, especially if you're a young player, you have a minimum contract. I'm not playing. I'm not trying to downplay it, but for somebody like Aaron Rodgers, it's not meaningful. Um, you're talking about Green Bay, as I mentioned. They pay $5 million in workout bonuses, by far the most. Even when you look at the Packers, um, when you compare it to a, a salary cap that's well over $180 million, will be over probably $220 million when we get back to normal. It's not a lot of money. That's number one. The Eagles, by the way, under 100000 workout bonuses. That's it. Right. So we're not talking about a lot of money. Um that's the first part of it. The second part is, and I think the far bigger issue, far, far bigger issue, is when you're talking about voluntary work, and I've mentioned this before on the show, I think, last week, who it affects is the bottom of the roster veterans. And if those guys don't show up, forget about workouts. I'm talking about on-field stuff when you have on-field stuff. If those guys don't show up, the rookies are contractually obligated to show up for their first camp. 
they can catch the coaching staff's eye right. and they say so and so's not here out of sight out of mind so i think that is the far bigger issue for the union than the actual money because the money is a drop in the bucket and i put that anybody wants to look at it can go to my twitter at jf mcmullen the list is there from uh, uh spot track that uh does all the contract work they have all the teams and what they have for workout bonuses it's not a lot of money jody it isn't but when you break when you add it all together and look at a team one it's a uh, lot of money to, for us individuals like yeah. and i'm not uh, you, know, you and i who uh do this show for six dollars and 25 cents a show <laughs> uh that's a huge amount of money yeah, but even yeah. for the individual players yeah, Aaron Rodgers is making tens of millions of dollars. So his half a million dollar signing bonus, still half a million is a lot of money to anybody. Um, yeah, but you're yeah, right. It, it yeah. all depends on the uh, view you take from it, whether it is a lot of money, a goodly amount of money, a big amount of money, a different, depending nobody, on how you look at it. Nobody's turning down money. So that right. part I agree with you. But I, I will say, I don't think money is the biggest problem in, in trying to get these uh, worked. Uh, to be truly voluntary. I don't even think that's close to the biggest problem. I think the biggest problem is an unsolvable one because you're trying to serve two masters. You're trying to get veteran players more jobs and you're trying to get the rookies in the league and in the union to where they'll be veterans and the whole cycle starts again. So I don't know how you solve that because teams want cost-effective young players just not only because it's cheaper, but because also that's the best way to build your team. And that's that's a difficult hurdle for, for the union. All right. Uh, John wasn't happy when I mentioned that one Eagle reporter might have been down there keeping track of guys who showed up for the first uh, voluntary uh, work. <laughs> no, if, if they want to. God bless. Right. I just thought there might be one. Um, I'll ask you about two other people who may have taking notice of how many people were actually in the facility yesterday. And that would be the general manager, Howie Roseman, who will have major uh, implications on who does or doesn't make the roster when we get to the first game of the regular season. And Jeff Laurie, who we've bandied about here mm. for the last several weeks during Birds 365 as to his level of involvement with the football team. Did those two guys take notice? I won't go so far as to say take attendance, but at least be on top of things enough to notice who did or didn't show. Has the who really wants it parade actually started uh, down at Eagle Land these days? I, I don't think so, because one, uh, because they did have the virtual meetings. Um, everybody's got to be involved there. So it's pretty easy to take attendance. You don't have to leave your office. But number Number two, they're, they're knee-deep in, in dread. I mean, this is the time where you're putting together your board, you're, you're calling teams, you're sending out feelers, whether you want to move up or move down. So they are knee-deep. And unfortunately, when I say they, Jeffrey Laurie as well, most likely, is knee-deep in draft prep to be a little bit too concerned on whether Aaron Sipos is lifting some weights down at the uh, the tent outside because of the COVID protocols at the Novacare complex. 
How much action was going on in that tent? I guess we'll never really know from yesterday. All right. Well, you can only, I, I can say, Jody, you can only have 20 players in the facility at a time. 20 is the max number at any time? Yeah. So you can do it in shifts. There can be more, but, you know, they still have these stringent protocols in place. If they do it in shifts, do you have to tag your replacement in? Uh, or is it a, just a virtual tag? Is it a fist bump? How do you know when you've gotten down <laughs> under twenty and someone else can join the tag? Good question. I, I've uh, never been there. I have to. I have to take uh, my guesstimates with uh, guys like you. Um, all right, let's get to the draft itself. Yes, you mentioned uh, everyone is just inundated with draft minutia, getting the board ready, double check, going over scouting reports, and the much fun rumor central where teams are potentially moving up and down other than the top three picks, which we're pretty sure the top three picks are all going to be quarterbacks. We think we know who number one's going to be. We're damn sure. Uh, <laughs> we're pretty sure who number two is going to be. And number three is debatable, but it is going to be a quarterback at Atlanta. Number four, that's where the conversation really begins. Will they make the pick or will they trade back? Once you get a couple picks into that, after that, you have the will they trade back or will they trade up conversation. And right now, rumors out there that the Eagles could be doing either one. That there are three options yeah. in play here. They can stay and make their pick at 12. They were at six. They move back. They sit at 12. They take the player that they like best at number 12. Or some players that they do like go before they can have their uh, card on the clock. They may or may not talk about trading up. And if they don't achieve that, then they could potentially trade back. Or they could have those conversations about trading up after they traded back to get a specific player. And they could put together a package to move up a handful of picks. All those things are in rumor central right now. I don't know if anyone uh, has more legs than the other. I would guess staying put at 12 is the most probable one. Uh, what do you think the chances are that the Eagles move one way or the hmm. other, which is more likely? Well, I'm hoping, Jody, I'm hoping they stay put for two reasons. One, I'm tired of feeling, hearing silly season. Um, oh, they might move up. They might move down. <laughs> you know, and Albert Breer, who I have a ton of respect for, uh, Sports Illustrated, you know, he's the one who put that in his Monday morning quarterback. Oh, the Eagles are talking about moving up, jumping ahead of the Giants and the Cowboys. Oh, but they could also move down. Well, thanks, Albert. We know that. But they can move up. They can move down. They can stay put. Uh, we got a great contest coming up if they stay put at number 12. So people stay tuned for that. Uh, they'll be able to win some nice Eagles gear. But nonetheless, um, that's where we are. That's why I got Blake on the show today to talk about this type of thing. That's why I said that's what the Eagles are doing, Jody. They're not doing uh, virtual attendance calls. They're calling other teams and saying, hey, can we get up to this spot doing our, our groundwork for that, uh, that kind of stuff? Do we want to jump ahead of the Giants and Cowboys to get a cornerback? Do we want to fall down? Uh, to get a an edge player, which I know you will hate, a Cody Pay type, um, to 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 sort of match up value with a position uh, in the draft that we think is more important. That's all the kind of work that's going on right now, and hopefully the Eagles have this solved before draft night because that's been one of the issues. You should have all this planned out. 
If you want to go up, go up. I mentioned Gil Brandt, though, Jody, real quick. He did his conference call yesterday, his pre-draft conference call. And you know Gil's been around for a long, long time. He mentioned a war at one point. I had to say to myself, what war is he talking about? Because Gil has been around that yeah. long oh, yeah. to, to, to talk about virtually uh, any war since World War II. But, uh, you know, I'm old myself, so I can make age jokes. Nonetheless, he said, you know, you can find, you're going to hate this too, you can find a cornerback anywhere. A couple offensive linemen go down, try to try to plug a garden. That happened to the Eagles last season. Yeah. And it ain't easy. The one thing I say about Jonathan Gannon and his history, you could look with the Colts last year, was Xavier Rhodes. He got off the scrap heap in Minnesota, was once a great corner, but was really bad his final season with the Vikings. T.J. Carey, still a free agent. We've, we've mentioned him about maybe the Eagles will have some interest. In other words, he wasn't working with Deion Sanders, and he got these guys up to speed. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Eagles' philosophy is because they will be, tr- they will be busting a trend if they go away from certain directions. And, and guess what, Jody? They've already busted one trend because they've gone away from this historic quarterback class. Historic. Three different people, four if you had Jody McDonald, have told me that. And the Eagles are saying, oh, we value this position more than any other. Well, guess what? If you really believe 2021 is a historic quarterback class, that means 2022 isn't going to be because you don't have historic historic, historic, historic. So if you, my point is if you believe in that position so much and you really believe as three different NFL evaluators have told me in the past week that this is one of the best quarterback classes of all time, isn't this the time to pounce? But the Eagles already fell back. Right. Doesn't make sense to me. They, they, they gave you their scouting report on this class. They don't think it's as, as historic as Gil Brandt does or Jordy McDonald does. Uh, they just can't because why would you trade from six to 12 if you believe that? Either you'd stay and use a selection at six on one of those guys, or you would hold on to it with dear not life, not be pushed out of it by the Miami Dolphins who said, hey, Here's the trade we'll offer you, but you got to do it now because we've got another deal in place and we can't pull the trigger on that until we put this one in place. They would have said no. They would have said, no, we'll stay right here at six. There's a chance one of these five great quarterbacks is going to come down to us. It's a historic class. No, here's what we need more than the one first-round draft pick that they want. They should have gotten two. If they really valued it as much as some other people do, yours truly being one of them, I think it is a historically good quarterback class the Eagles are not going to get one I don't think there's any way any of those five come down to number 12 but it would be really interesting if one of them did fall all the way down to 12 that's when you may see the Eagles move back they may actually say yeah if we don't we pass on this guy uh, it's going to look bad we'll never hear the end of it from Jody McDonald and Eagle Nation we got to get the hell out of 12 get into a position where all the quarterbacks are off the board the Eagles already took their stance They're not going quarterback this year. It's going to be Jalen Hurts by hook, crook, or however they need to make it happen. They're not going to take quarterback in this draft until 
I don't think it's going to be day till day three. I don't think they're even going to do it uh, at the end of the, uh, somewhere in the third round with the multiple third round picks they have because they took enough flack for taking Jalen Hurts in the second round. I think they're going to wait all the way till day three, round four or later, before they select a quarterback in this upcoming draft. Yeah, I agree with you. And and the point I bring that up, though, Jody, is they, they've already busted a trend. So if they busted one trend, which is quarterback, who's to say they can't bust another trend? The other side of that fence is people like Gil Brandt saying, you can find quarterback cornerbacks, not quarterbacks, cornerbacks later in the draft. Now, what an Eagles fan will tell you is we haven't had corners for years. We can't get Sidney Jones to play up. We can't get Rasul Douglas. Well, maybe that's where you can criticize Jim Swartz and the old coaching staff because other teams, Darius Williams, you know, you look at with the Rams, had a spectacular year. Who the hell was he? He was picked up on waivers from Baltimore. You can find quarterback. I just mentioned what Gannon was able to do in Indianapolis. You can find cornerbacks. You saw firsthand, Eagles fans, if attrition happens on the offensive line, you're in trouble. You're in deep, deep, deep trouble. So that's what Gil Brandt said. And he wasn't talking about the Eagles, by the way, Jody. He was talking about a completely different team. He said, you can find cornerbacks, even undrafted cornerbacks. You can't find offensive linemen. So if one's there, you better take them. And the scary thing about it is the Eagles kept Jeff Stoutland. They overturned their entire coaching staff. Stoutland basically the only holdover, and I thought they were well on point to do just that because I think he is an outstanding offensive line coach. It could have been even worse. Even with the drop-off with all the Eagle injuries that they had on their offensive line last year and the plug-and-play that they had to do with the guys they had on their roster, I think Stoutland kept it from actually being worse. And it wasn't good. Uh, we saw how much Carson Wentz got hit this past year and plays breaking down and the like. Uh, it could have been even worse if they didn't have Stoutland here, so they're lucky to still have Stoutland in the house. But, um, John, I'm hoping the trend is broken. And not that uh, I, I disagree with the overall philosophy. It does make a lot of sense. I'm looking at the vacuum it is this year. You're rolling the dice that your two big guys on your right-hand side are coming back. They're going to be healthy, and they're going to stay healthy. And that might be the toughest part of the equation, actually, get down. Stay healthy. I think you have to do that. If you're going to use a first-round draft pick on a player who may not ever get on the field if you're going to take them to be a right tackle or a right guard, I'm not sure that I could do that if I were the Philadelphia Eagles this year. Knowing the importance of the offensive line, knowing their history of putting an importance on the offensive line, I still can't do that this year with this team. Hey, I understand it. I mean, that's the one beauty of this draft. If you want to look at the optimistic side, again, you can put up the dartboard. You can throw the dart no matter where it lands. You're going to find a need for this team. Yes, people will say if guys stay healthy, <clears throat> excuse me, if I stay healthy on the offensive line, that's not a significant need. Yeah, not immediately, but you got age and injury history there. Same thing on the defensive line. Brandon Graham's still playing at a high level. Guy's going to be 33. So you have to start thinking about, I mean, the Eagles have said this is about 2022. It's not about 2021 by their actions. So they're not expected to be a contender. So 
you have to think about 2022 as well, Jody. And that's why this draft, in a lot of ways, it's kind of easy for the Eagles to take the best player. They think who the best player is because they have so many needs on this team. Even, even things that don't look like immediate needs are going to be significant needs right around the corner because of the age and the injury history of this team. All right. You talked about the Eagles not necessarily being as worried about 2021 as they are 2022, 23, 24, the future uh, uh, years coming down the road. Tell Hammer that point home. I did see this last night. Buddy of mine sends out wagering lines uh, that are just being posted as soon oh, as they're yeah, put I saw up. this. <laughs> Bet Online AG put out the under-overs for the upcoming season. Now, remember full well that we're talking <laughs> about 17 games for each National Football League team, not 16. It's been 16 for a long time now. They are finally advancing it to 17 games. So when you hear some of these numbers, don't set your mind to out of 16 games. It's out of 17 games. Which it makes it worse, by the way. Right. The Philadelphia Eagle over-under number for this upcoming season is is six and a half. Six and a half wins in a 17-game season. That's not good, folks. How bad is it? Do you know how many teams are actually below six and a half for this upcoming season? You got the Jaguars at six. You got, well, first of all, Cincinnati, the team they tied with last year, funny enough, also at six and a half. There are two teams that are at six and a half, the Eagles and the Bengals, and they finished up with the exact same record after they tied each other last year at four, four, uh, 11 and one, uh, the Bengals are at six and a half, same as the Eagles, the Jags at six, the Jets at six, the lions at five and a half and the Texans with the questions as to whether <laughs> Deshaun Watson will be able to play at four and a half. That's it. There's only four teams in the NFL that have lower over-under numbers coming into the season than the Philadelphia Eagles. They are tied for supposedly the fifth worst team for the 2021 season. How much eggs should they be scraping off their face at this time? Well, you know, Vegas and, and the people that do odds see what we see, and they see the same thing. The Eagles are about 2022. They're not about 2021. But when I – and I tweeted that out because I got the same uh, information, same email, Jody, and I said the same thing. If you have a crystal ball, which none of us do have, if Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, we just talked about the offensive line, Jason Kelsey, uh, if they're out there for 16 games – Eagles are going to go over. You can win some money. Question is, can those guys stand up? Can they stay healthy? Um, remember last year, uh, Bet Online also put in there the over under was ten in sixteen games, and they ended up at four. So, Ouch. you know that that plays into it as well. How disappointing this team was, and that's where we are. And and and. They see what we see and that the Eagles seem to be about 2022 more than 2021. And if you're inquisitive, uh, just to give you the quick numbers on the rest of the uh, division, the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott coming back are the top uh, over-under team at nine and a half. The champion, division champions, Washington football team, eight and a half. 
and the uh, uh, overly aggressive teams in free agency, the New York football giants at seven. So Cowboys, nine and a half, Washington, eight and a half, Giants, seven, Eagles, six and a half. They come into the season as the lowest ranked team for wins as per at least one Vegas betting outlet. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We are Birds 365. When we come back, we'll not get another uh, uh, M involved. I was going to say JM, but I believe Jeff spells his name with a G, G right? Yeah, yeah. G, yeah. We almost had be. triple JM working for us, but no, we've got G, Jeff with a G, Mosher, joining us next here on Birds 365. Stick around. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The, 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 middle. the middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that, that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very few sounds of purity. That's oh. as pure as it gets. Oh, I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Sounds perfect. It sounds right. Not so much at a Phillies game last night, but I digress. We'll specifically stick with the birds for the next, oh, 15, 20, 25 minutes here on the show because we're lucky enough to have join us Jeff Mosher from uh, host of Inside Birds podcast. GM, how you been, buddy? Been a while since we had a chance to talk. Long time, fellas. And now I, I heard you guys talking before the break. I've been called a J.O. before. I've been called a J.A. before. 
Those might be true, but I'm definitely not a JM. I am a GM. Yeah, so. and, <laughs> How are you guys yeah, I, doing? Uh, doing well, Jeff. You know, uh, I, I do want to give a shout out to Inside the Birds, uh, the podcast with Jeff and Adam Kaplan, because, you know, I always say that's I, I'm a big stand up comedian fan. So I'm going to blow smoke up Jeff's, you know what here. And I say there's comedians, comedians, so to speak. Dave Attell, Greg Giraldo. Uh, people like that, uh, Louis C.K. before he got in trouble. Uh, not saying Jeff's going to get in trouble, but Inside the Birds podcast is the reporter's podcast. I think everybody, you know, Jeff and Adam have such great intel. Uh, so everybody should listen to that, InsideTheBirds.com. Now that I got that out of the way, Jeff, I want to say you've been chomping at the bit, and I want to know if you got this answer mm-hmm. because I know you've been talking about it. We, we talk about the analytics uh, and Jeffrey Lurie's love of that. We we mentioned it with the athletic story about the disconnect between the scouting department. Ryan Paganetti, sort of the Doug Peterson whisper, quietly removed from that coaching staff. Why? If Jeffrey Lurie loves analytics so much, why isn't he whispering into Nick Sirianni's ear? Yeah, that's a great question, John. I think it's it's one of the unanswered questions that we've had of the offseason in general about how much analytics is going to play a role, not not in front office. We know that that plays a ton, of, a big role. But as you mentioned, and I, I think it's almost understated how important those in-game analytical decisions were for the Eagles over the last four years, um, especially in 2017, winning the Super Bowl, whether or not to go for it on fourth down at certain times, whether or not to go for two after touchdowns. And as you mentioned, Ryan Pagnetti was uh, an assistant linebackers coach, but he was also the guy up in the booth in Doug Peterson's ear. And Doug, that wasn't forced on Doug. Doug and Ryan had a great relationship. And and when Doug first got the job for the Eagles, people in Kansas City told me the one thing that you're going to notice that's different about him than Andy Reid is that he's more aggressive, which we've all seen, you know, not just downfield, but going for it on fourth down and, and just trying to trying to go for the jugular a little more than when Andy was here. Sometimes he got accused of, of getting conservative in late games, and Doug certainly wasn't like that. And so Ryan Pagnetti was a good fit for him, did a lot of analytics work and, and projects as well. Why he's not back is a great question, but I think that, that opens the door to, well, A, one thing, he was also an assistant linebackers coach, and you see that the Eagles don't have as many assistant position coaches as they had in the past. And two – and I, I, you know, I wish that we could get more questions into Nick Sirianni at the press conference from from different people. But how much is Nick Sirianni into the analytics of the in-game decision making the way Doug Peterson is? You would think that it, it it would have to be something that they talked about in the interview process, knowing how important it is to Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. But we still don't know right now how Nick Sirianni feels about those kind of in-game analytical decisions. Right? How important could it be? If they don't have that person in place to replace the guy who was in Doug's ear during the game and quoting analytical numbers to him, you would think that would be one of, I don't know, say first hires, but in the first wave of hires, now the coaching staff is pretty much set and no one has either been given those responsibilities or specifically hired for that. Do we take that as maybe a skim back of analytics affecting play calling with the birds going forward? Boy, I doubt it. You know, I, I think that there's some uh, <laughs> there's some things that don't add up just yet because we just have don't have a big enough body of work. For example, you know, we know that the Colts ran the ball a whole lot with Nick Sirianni as the offensive coordinator. 
We also know that Jeffrey Lurie doesn't like it when the team runs, even when they win. So <laughs> I'm trying to reconcile how a guy who ran the ball uh, a decent amount, and even Shane Steichen in, um, with the Chargers when they had Gordon and Eckler ran the ball a decent amount. How, how is that going to work here in Philadelphia where the, you know, the owner prefers an offense that's electrifying and downfield and bang, 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 almost Kansas City-like? I don't know. I think it's a great question. It's, it's one of those unanswered questions of the offseason. How do their, their, their philosophies and ideologies align? Because right now you have a, a hard time. You know, there were some co- coaches like Josh McDaniels, right? But you could have seen the alignment lockstep, bing, bing, bing. You may have wondered how he would get along with Howie Roseman and everyone else. But from a, a coaching philosophy, it made a lot of sense. This, this is still a little bit guesswork for us and more to figure out. You know, Jeff, you mentioned the relationship with Ryan and Doug, and they did get along very well, even though it was a bit of a, a, a marriage type thing. I also look at Press Taylor because Press Taylor was here before Doug Peterson. Um, I was always told by people in the organization, watch this kid. He's going to be a star coach in, in this profession. Then he gets close to Doug Peterson and all of a sudden, he's an idiot. We can't move forward with Press Taylor. Is that what happened to Ryan as well? And what the heck is going on with this? These guys are good right up until Doug likes them? What 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 is the disconnect between Jeffrey Lurie, Doug Peterson? Did they ever believe in this guy? Bottom line. Yeah, it's a great question. And it also, as reporters, we have to, you know, it kind of forces us to you know, you get information, but then you also have to kind of step back and analyze it yourself. It seems like whenever a young coach would get promoted, you're mentioning Press Taylor, Carson Walsh, a wide receivers yeah, coach, same was thing. another person who was regarded as a really bright guy. And listen, maybe maybe Carson Walsh, I still hear that Carson Walsh is a very bright guy. And I've heard many times that Press Taylor is a really smart guy. And he got a job in Indianapolis right away. There, there's a difference, right, between being a really sharp mind brilliant mind. In fact, Adam Gaze might be a perfect example of a guy mm-hmm. who people will tell you is a really smart guy and knows how to understand the quarterback position and how to play it. But when he has to be in charge of coaching, right, and dealing with more than just X's and O's, that's where something falls short. And, you know, with Press Taylor, it seemed to me that it's not, it wasn't his brightness or his competency, but his, 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 his uh, want to really coach Carson Wentz and then we also have to talk to Carson about Carson Wentz and his, you know, want to not be coached as mm. kind of a relationship that became very difficult. And the one thing about Doug is that, and I'm sure you know this, John, he's, he's a non-confrontational type of guy. If he could avoid confrontation, he'd like to. But then even when you're like that, at some point, you got to raise, raise your voice. And then when you do, you're like the bad guy because nobody expects that from you. And that sounds like it may have happened between Doug and Alec Hallaby. And I was told that there were some times where, where Doug and um, – Carson were obviously, uh, you know, at each other's throats. And, and so you just didn't have a very smooth coaching process from top to bottom there. All right, Jeff, I want to move to the present-day coaching staff. The relationship with Doug Peterson and how he actually was treated is going to be an ongoing conversation maybe forever in this town. But it is something that needs to be pushed aside, at least for now, because we got another season coming up with a new coaching staff. Nick Sirianni had more say, it seems, from afar, and I don't think it's uh, much of a reach to go there, to have had more of a say on his coaching staff than Doug Peterson ever did. Even after winning a Super Bowl, Sirianni, who's never put together a staff before, seemed to have more say in putting his staff together. 
Why do you think that was this the, the case this offseason with both Harry Roseman and Jeff Laurie giving as much sway as he did in putting his staff together? Well, you know what? I think I think it's more about retaining the staff, Jody, than who you get to bring in. I mean, I, I think a lot of the guys we talk about, um, whether it's Press Taylor being promoted, I know Chip Kelly brought him here, or Carson Walsh being promoted and some other guys like uh, who were brought in under Doug, I think Doug had a lot of say over that. It's just when things, I'll say when things went south. I mean, things weren't that bad in 2019 when they fired Mike Rowe, but clearly they, you know, I'm not the one calling the shots there. Um, those, those were the, the turnover decisions that were forced upon Doug Peterson. Um, but then when he had to replace, you know, they fire a wide receivers coach who gets promoted, Carson Walsh. I don't think that that was Jeffrey Lurie's idea. I think that was in the hands of Doug, which made it very odd. It's, it was almost like saying the, the owner was saying, look, I'll tell you when your guys aren't good enough, and then you have to go and find guys that are good enough. But then next year later, they're not good enough, so I got to fire them, and then you got to replace them. It's, again, just a very odd dynamic that was going on. So I, I, what I say with Nick Sirianni is, yes, he's brought in uh, several, several coaches that seem to have that either connection to Minnesota or Indianapolis. I think most coaches get that kind of leniency, but if let's see at this time next year how many of those coaches are still on the staff because there's no team that I know of. And, you know, I've only covered the Eagles for a while, but I've studied the NFL. No team gets rid of assistant coaches and position coaches like the Philadelphia Eagles. These guys got rid of coaches after winning seasons. And you just saw what happened after one losing season. So if we're talking about a five or six or seven win season this coming year, uh, I, I can't I imagine that some of those coaches that you think were brought in by Nick Sirianni and had faith yeah. were, are probably looking for jobs. Yeah, and let's talk about that elephant in the room, Jeff, because, you know, that's coming from up top. We all know Doug Peterson wanted to keep – he wanted to keep Greg Lewis. If you go all the way back to Greg Lewis, he wanted to keep Carson Walsh. He wanted to keep Mike Rowe. We know he wanted to elevate Press Taylor and Matt Burke this year. That was pretty much the straw that broke the camel's back. Um you know, when it comes to the head coach, when it comes to the quarterback, you expect the owner to be involved in those types of decisions. Everybody's got to be involved. I mean, those are franchise-altering decisions. When it comes to the wide receivers coach, should, should the owner be making that overstep? And what would he know about coaching the wide receiver position? What would he know about making the quarterback decision? I mean, well, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a great question. Um, it seems that the, the decision, it's not about what he knows about the position. It's more about what he likes and doesn't like, right? You know, he wants an electrifying offense. And when his offense in 2019 only finished 12th, but if you look deeper, you saw that they were third in the red zone and fourth on third down. So they were a top five situational football team all year long. And that's pretty good. I know you want to be high scoring, but really the important, you know, we all know third down and red zone is where your money is made in the NFL. So as, <laughs> as good as they were in that Jeffrey Lurie saw, you know, our offense struggled. We have to get rid of these guys. And so I don't know that Jeffrey Lurie had the acumen to say here, I want these coaches because I know that they're great. Although you do look at some of the guys that were brought in, right. To help Doug after that, like a rich Scangarello, um, Marty Morningweg, who, who obviously had been here before, and you wonder if if there was some up top influence to try to get so much uh, so many names, you know, because Scangarello had been the offensive coordinator for the Broncos, and he came from the Shanahan tree. You know, there's certainly an obsession 
with having a great offense here. And they haven't had a great offense here in a while. And it seems like the owner won't stop until he gets a great offense. But yeah, I don't know that Jeffrey pretends to know. Um, I, I do know this, John, uh, to your point, Jonathan Gannon, right. Is somebody that Jeffrey Lurie was well aware of uh, when he hired Nick Sirianni. I was told that he knew about Gannon's kind of um, reputation as an emerging defensive mind. I don't know if that may, maybe put the nail on the coffin or help seal the hiring of Nick Sirianni, but I do know that Jeffrey asks a lot of questions. We know that he does have the information. He does do his homework. It's very debatable on whether or not he should be making the kind of decisions that he is making because you hire people to make those decisions. Um, they're not uninformed. In some ways you can say that in many ways you could say they're rash decisions though. All right, Moach, hypothetical question to uh, get a uh, finger on the pulse of how infatuated Jeffrey Laurie is with high-flying offense. <sighs> At number 12, let's say one of the three top wide receivers. I would tend to think it's going to be one of the two Alabama guys. I don't think there's any chance of Jamar J Chase falling down to number 12. But either Devonta Smith or Waddle is sitting there at 12. One of the two top cornerbacks is sitting there. Maybe one's gone. Maybe one's there. And let's say Slater, the second best offensive lineman, is available. If I'm to believe you the way you just stated it, Jeff Laurie lives for putting points on the board and slinging it all over the field. It's got to be the wide receiver they're going to take at that position, right? I can see how you would take everything I just said and connect those dots, Jody. But, I mean, if the owner is as worldly and can see the bigger picture as um, he likes to be. And yes, it is all about offense, but if you'll notice his franchise has not drafted a cornerback in the first round in 21 years. And if he likes electrifying offenses so much, he's probably also noticed the number of times that his defense has been beaten over the top. Not as much last year, although yes, you know, by the uh, Metcalfs and the Adams of the world, but he's got to know that it just as important as scoring points is having those corners who can defend those great wide receivers. So uh, I still think it's. Oh, we got a little glitch with nope. Jeff. I think uh, now that's different than what happened to me yesterday. For those no, of he's you back. Missed it, he's back. I'm right. back. Sorry. Most got uh, cleared up. Sorry. Not a problem. You were the saying... mercy of the Wi-Fi gods. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying, like, we I still, are. unless Jeffrey just completely, I mean, just completely tunes everybody out and says we're going speed receiver here, I do think it's very, very. Um, likely that the Eagles will look at that corner position between J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain and really factor it in as much as any other position. All right, conspiracy theory. We love conspiracy theories in Philadelphia. So follow this, follow this one, Jeff. Um, I don't know if you were on Gil, Gil Brandt's conference call yesterday, but uh, Gil spoke, uh, you know, three. I told Jody three times over the past week or so, I've heard NFL evaluators say, this is a historic quarterback class, historic, going back to 83. Hmm. Jody believes that as well, by the way. Um, the Eagles made their decision, uh, essentially saying it can't be that historic because they moved down. They're not in a position to grab one of these quarterbacks. We all know how they value that position. Um they talk about it constantly, GM Factory, that Howie doesn't like that he uttered that. But nonetheless, that's what they believe. They believe the backup quarterback position, never mind the starting quarterback position, is a top 10 position, blah, blah, blah. So have they kind of given their hand and said, 
this is about 2022, and this is about Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers because if you needed a quarterback in the draft, this is the year. This is the year you should have made the move to get the quarterback. Yeah, you know, I would agree with you, and I know a lot of fans feel like it seems as as soon as Carson Wentz kind of drama got out there, it's like they didn't know who to throw their support behind, so it might as well be Jalen Hurts and instead of kind of patiently waiting a month or two to see how it was going to play out. But, you know, when I've when I I've, I've specifically focused in talking to personnel people about Justin Fields and um, Trey Lance because I figured, you know, even at six – the Eagles were out of the play for the top two or three guys. And I'm constantly told that those two guys, Fields and Lance, project, which is the key word here, they all project coming out of college to be really good quarterbacks in the league. And they all, and I specifically ask how they compare to Jalen Hurts coming out of college. And they all say, we are project, you know, our scouting report is that this guy projects to be a better quarterback, way better. Than Jalen Hurts, which is why most teams saw Hurts as a third or a fourth rounder, and these guys are going to go top 10. I know some people have a tough time digesting that, but that's just the truth. So why the Eagles moved out of it is a great question. Uh, I mean, there was the report from Chris Mortensen that the owner said, we're building around Jalen Hurts at least for this year. But I'm with you, John. I think that when you, see, when you know how much this team wa- wants elite quarterback play and you see all the assets that they've stockpiled, for this year and for really for next year. And you just mentioned the quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson. I know that they've had interest. Obviously, things have simmered down there with his uh, legal issue. But, you know, those could end in a month. I have no idea what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. I don't know if he's considered toxic or not. And the one thing I would have to always tell people is, even if Deshaun Watson is cleared legally, don't forget about Ezekiel Elliott. He was never charged, but he was suspended for six games. So you've got to almost let the NFL run its investigation as well Uh, before you make any move. But I certainly think those assets are there for a reason, John, and this team wants an elite quarterback, and I think they are willing to just kind of... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. See what they've got with Jalen, but if something they really feel is better is there and within reach, there's no doubt in my mind they will go for it. Right. Go for it, but go for it where? What are they going to use their ammunition if they are to trade back up this year? I've heard people speculate on that. They drop down from 6 to 12. But if the perfect person is there or if there's someone that they really like at the bottom of the first round of the draft this year to get up from where their pick is in at number two, they can certainly do something like that. Well, as soon as you start to wear down those assets that you've got put aside for a future date, you are compromising your chances at the quarterback position, which may be the most important if Jalen Hurts isn't as good as it seems Jeffrey Lloyd believes he's going to be. That's why I don't think the Eagles are trading up. I don't think Howie Roseman in either the first round from 12 back up further and or from the second round into the late first round. I don't think it's happening. I think they've got to keep those picks for potential moves next year just in case Jalen Hurts isn't good enough 
Do you see it the same way I do, Mother? No, I think, you know, they have the idea, they have the potential of having three first round picks next year. And it's probably a likelihood. And to, if they're going to move up, Jody, from 12 to say nine, it's not going to be for a quarterback. So they're not going to have to give up extra first rounders like teams normally do. If they're moving up a couple of spots, it'll probably only cost them oh, a third oh, oh, round. Oh, 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 hold on. Let me interrupt. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know who they're moving up for? If you're a team that's willing to give up, say, number nine, and right. Eagles say we want to move from 12 to nine, does the team actually ask, oh, is that to get a quarterback? No, or what happens is why does what you're picking have to do with how much it should cost you to move up however many slots you're moving up? I got you. So what happens is the board's going to fall. They're not going to move up before the draft, right? The board's going to fall. There's probably three quarterbacks that's going to go. Atlanta's a wild card of four. They could trade out. Somebody could trade in to get a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. So what I imagine happening is there'll be four or five quarterbacks that go off the board, and nobody's thinking the Eagles are going to move up there to get, you know, Kellen Mond at that point, right? So it happens all the time. Once the quarterbacks go off the board, then you see those other first-round trades um, where it doesn't cost you as much to move up. Sure, when when the Bears went to th three to two a couple of years ago for Trubisky, they had to pay a King's ransom because there were so many offers coming in. After those quarterbacks go, if the Eagles want to trade up with the Panthers at eight or the Broncos at nine, it's not like those guys are getting calls left and right with f future firsts and seconds and everything for a quarterback because there's no quarterback there at that point. Okay. So that that I was you know contextualizing a little bit there, over contextualizing, but I think that they can move up <laughs> to get a corner if they want without having to give up a lot of extra first-round picks. It may just cost them a third uh, at the end of the day, maybe a second. All right, uh, Jeff, I'm giving to Gil Bryant too much uh, hype today. But nonetheless, since hey, he's happened, the man. Yeah, he is the man. Um, and he mentioned this. You're talking about cornerbacks. And he wasn't talking about the Eagles, so there's no skin in the game here. He's talking about a completely different team. He said you can get cornerbacks late in the draft. You can get quarterbacks – and as undrafted free agents, and they'll play for you. And he mentioned uh, the kid from the Rams, who I think was picked up on waivers, uh, Darius Williams. Nonetheless, I know Eagles fans have seen, look, they had Sidney Jones here, Rasul Douglas. They haven't had good cornerback play, so they think differently. But Jonathan Gannon has a history. He got Xavier Rhodes off the scrap heap. TJ Carey wasn't exactly Patrick Peterson in his prime. Uh, and he just re-signed with the Colts, I think, the stream. Uh, so he's out of the play. Yeah. He's out of play for the Eagles now. But these aren't, you know, top-tier corners. And Gil said, if your corner goes down, you can get somebody to play. If an offensive lineman goes down, good luck. And the Eagles lived through that last year. So is there value in jumping up to get a cornerback as good as you might think Patrick Sertain J.C. Horn R. Well, I never like to be that team that has to operate out of desperation, but then by that rule, I wouldn't have left myself so bare at cornerback that my only good one was Darius Slay and that everyone else after that, at least as an outside corner, is basically an undrafted free agent, whether it's Kavon Seymour or I'm, I think I'm making up names now. But, Mike, Mike uh, Michael Jaquette, you know, yeah. Graylin Arnold. They're, they're not in a position where they can – come out of this draft without some young developmental cornerbacks and first round should not be excluded because the talent matches the value. I mean, at 12 people will tell you certain and horn are legit corners who project to be really good in the NFL. I would argue as bad as the offensive line is uh, was last year, John, I mean, they did have some guys step in like Jack Driscoll, Jordan Maialata, 
who played much better than the cornerbacks who had to step in when the starters went down. That's Michael Jaquette and uh, yes. the, the Kevon Seymour's. And, and I mean, they are so they're, they're pretty, they do a good job. The Eagles of drafting in the trenches, getting guys like Driscoll in the fourth round, uh, finding a guy like Maialata. They've always done a decent job of that. I mean, I think that was more of lack of continuity, but, if you look individually, I thought Nate Herbig actually played Nate fairly Herbig well, played well at times last year too. So I can't say that about the cornerbacks though. So I understand what Gilbrandt's saying. I, I think the Eagles are kind of the exception of the rule in this, in this standpoint where they've been hurt so long by lack of depth and lack of talent at the cornerback position that it, it and look, I'm best player available. So if you're, you're sitting at 12 or you trade up and the best player on your board is that offensive lineman. I have no problem with that because that's a great philosophy too, but um, at some point, you've really got to you know address this cornerback issue that you haven't drafted and, and or hit on in quite a long time. Jeff, although uh, my partner continues to suggest uh, Quiddy Pay is a possibility for the Eagles at twelve, we know they can always trade down a little. I just don't think the guy deserves to be the twelfth pick in the draft. But the Eagles have a history of going into the trenches when they have a pick as high as number twelve. Uh, let's just say that's not the case, but the best available edge pass rusher is their choice in the second round. Where does he fit in the depth chart when the season starts? I know we'll have potential other free agents. I mentioned a couple of guys in Ingram and Kerrigan yesterday who are still sitting out there. Don't know what their money's going to be. It's probably why the Eagles haven't been able to make a move on a guy like that. They're still holding out for more money than the Eagles have under the cap. But I'm just talking about comparing a potential second-round edge pass rusher, and Josh Sweat, who I thought was underused this year. He seemed to make more plays for me than he did for the Eagle coaching staff because I thought his usage, as far as number of snaps and the like, was a little on the light side. What do you think the Eagles think of Josh Sweat and his future going forward as of right now? All right, allow me to address three things here. I want to f- quickly circle back to Quiddy Pay. And I know how, how disappointed people would be if the Eagles drafted Quiddy Pay at 12. But I can tell you, you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, an NFL personnel executive or, or talent evaluator who thinks Quiddy Pay isn't a top 15 talent. He, he, everybody I speak to loves him, loves everything about his makeup. Great kid, great pass rusher. I know that the production wasn't there because he didn't play as much. I mean, he was stuck behind Rashawn Gary for a while. But as far as projecting out for three years, people love Quiddy Pay. And I would not rule him out at 12 for the Eagles if some of those guys we talked about are gone. As far as Josh Sweat, you have to remember that he came out of Florida State with uh, some, some severe knee injuries in the past. And as I understand it, um, I think he's bone on bone at this point in, in one of his knees. And their, their, their plan has always been to monitor how much he can play to try to extend his career. I know that's tantalizing because I agree with you, Jody. You'd want to see him play more. Yeah. But I believe their philosophy is the more you play – the faster you're going to run him out of the league or get him hurt. And he has actually dealt with some injuries uh, throughout his Eagles career. So as, as much as the, the lean wants you to get him on the field more, I actually think they use him perfectly to try to keep him healthy and productive in that role. Um, what we don't know is how much they're going to rotate linemen the way Jim Schwartz did. I doubt they rotated him as much as Jim Schwartz because few people do. But if you draft a pass rusher in the second round, Jody, he's probably going to get on the field considerably in their nickel packages. Um, they're not as deep as they used to be. Brandon Graham's a little older, and Derek Barnett has not played 16 games in a season yet, to my knowledge, and maybe his rookie year. I don't remember. But he's never been a full-time starter for 16 games 
Josh Sweat, you can move him inside if you want a little bit in nickel. You can move him around, um, and whoever they draft in the second round may be able to do the same. So if they draft the pass rushers in the second round and he's good, he's going to get on the field. All right, Jeff. I know you got to get back to daddy duty. So uh, last <laughs> We've been one lucky here. No, no disruptions yeah. or anything. No I'm disruptions. <laughs> <laughs> virtual learning. You're doing some virtual learning with us, and we're, we're all learning from you. But um, and, and by the way, before I also, InsideTheBirds.com, uh, everybody subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. So listen to Jeff and Adam Kaplan every week. Uh, twice a week, I believe. Uh, we started quarterbacks. I'm going to end with quarterbacks. This team only has two quarterbacks. They have Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco. They have to take a quarterback somewhere. Where's that coming? Could it be day two? More likely day three. And what type of, of quarterback do you think would be a fit as a developmental piece for this team? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I do to, to address the first part. I absolutely think they're taking a quarterback in this draft. I think it'll probably be likely third round or lower, more likely fourth, you know, more likely a day three guy. The question is, do they want, uh, do they, do they just want like kind of the best, the guy they think that will be the best overall. Take a guy like Davis Mills from Stanford, who was such a highly rated quarterback coming out of the uh, Atlanta area. He went to Stanford, not exactly quarterback factory, although, you know, we know Elway and Mills and uh, I mean, uh, um, Andrew Luck, but not exactly a quarterback factory or even offensive factory but he throws a really pretty ball I mean he's very accurate he's a little bit of a statue compared to you know other guys but you know do they want that kind of guy to develop because that's kind of what they had in Indianapolis right or do they want someone who has more athletic traits do they want uh like a Kellen Mond or something like somebody like that who who has um as Greg Cosell told us really good good acumen just holds the ball ball carriage a little high they have to work with that Aaron Rodgers had the uh the same issue coming out of Cal um, there's another, there are a couple other quarterbacks who fall into that developmental range. Um, you know, and then it just depends on, on what you're looking for at that point, or if you're just taking the best quarterback that you want to mold, or if you're looking specifically for, you know, either accuracy, athleticism, whatever it is, there's this court, this draft will offer, um, a lot of diversity there. The, the interesting name will be Kyle Trask, right? Because he played at Florida and that's where the quarterbacks, their quarterbacks coach, Brian Johnson, just came from as the offensive coordinator. So that would be someone I'd probably keep my eye on because coaches tend to be a little little partial in those cases. Jeff, last one from me. Uh, although we've continued to say that uh, Jeff Laurie is looking for a high-flying offense, and if the Eagles are upgrading, it's going to be at the wide receiver position more so than the running back. I know they just brought Howard back as a complimentary back to Sanders. I still think the birds could use another running back. We just ask you what round will they take a quarterback? I'll ask you the same thing about running back. Are they going to use a pick before day three on a running back or will they just uh, stick with Sanders and the guys they have on the roster, including the returning Mr. Howard? Yeah, I certainly think it's possible that they take one in round two or three, more probable three, four, five. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be, just based on positional value for this team uh, and the fact that they do have Miles Sanders, I don't think it's going to be something that they prioritize, but they do need somebody to be a really functional, good number two back who fits the team. They bring back Jordan Howard on a one-year deal, as you mentioned, but he's no guarantee. He's coming off a really bad year uh, or at least a bad time with Miami before he came back to the Eagles. So he's not a guarantee to be on the team. 
Ideally, you'd like someone with a little meat on their bones, like a thumper. But the Eagles are always going to look for somebody who can catch the ball um, as well. So, you know, I'd have my eyes on someone like um, Michael Carter from North Carolina, who's very explosive. Um, there are a couple of guys in the later rounds that, that you might look at that have a little bit that, that can catch, like a Trey Sermon. He doesn't have a, a whole history of catching the ball because Ohio State's offense is not like that, but neither was Penn State's offense. Miles Sanders did not have a lot of catches, but you can see him catch the ball pretty well uh, at the NFL level. Uh, Trey Sermon can certainly run, so he might be a, a person that they see can they can develop into a, a more of a pass catcher if he has the hands there uh, and he already has the, the, the footwork to go with it and, and, the, and the vision of a runner. Most great stuff. We appreciate you coming on board with us today. Uh, again, everybody check out the Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, you know we'll be tapping into you plenty over the upcoming weeks, months, maybe even years. They, well, no, there's no way the show's going to last years. <laughs> am I, I going to last many years? I don't know how, man. This job, man. <laughs> You'll be doing it a lot longer than I will. We appreciate you coming on board with us today. Thanks, bud. Uh, tell Kaplan we send our regards. I will. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. That's Jeff Mosher here with us on Birds 365. All right, let's get a timeout in here. We'll come back. We'll get set for our next guest, Blake Benningfield, former scouting director of the Tennessee Titans. We've got a lot to ask him about the way the drafts are held by teams, boards and uh, moving guys up and moving guys down and scouts influence and the like. Should be a great spot coming next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The, 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 middle. the middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that, that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very few sounds of purity. That's uh, as pure as it gets. Uh, I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. In the Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap. Go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. D-A-T-L-E-S-E-O! Jody Mack. 
the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Birds 365, Tuesday Gathering, Jody Mac with John McMullen, your Mac and Mac guys. We're getting dangerously close to the NFL draft. Now only single digits away, nine days away before uh, all teams get together. And it's better than virtually last year. They're getting together in Chicago to actually Cleveland. hold an NFL Cleveland, draft. What I say, Chicago? Yeah. My bad. Cleveland for this year's NFL draft. Uh, we'll talk to a guy next who actually did it for a living. He was part of war rooms and draft boards, which all fans would love to be able to say they were actually up close and personal with. Our next guest did just that. He did it for the Tennessee Titans, uh, former director of college scouting. Uh, Blake Bettingfield joins us here on Birds 365. Blake, Jody Mack, and John McMullen here. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thrilled to have you, Blake, especially this time of year as teams put their finishing uh, touches on draft preparation. I don't think a lot of fans understand, uh, so you can kind of take us inside. I, I want to start first with the board. I mean, you pick up these draft publications all over. You'll have 400, 500 players uh, uh, profiled. NFL teams, man, they get it down, focused. I heard Nick Cesario a couple years ago the lowest number I ever heard when he was with the Patriots was 75. What is a typical NFL draft board? How deep does it go? How many players end up on that for, for a team? You know, it's amazing when you start the process, you start with about 1,300 names, and that number dwindles uh, significantly as you get to the draft in April. That number is going to get to 75 to 125, roughly. This is after all the medicals, all the background is done. Um, this is something that it, it takes a lot of a, a, a long process to get to. Uh, but those numbers dwindle. And when you get to draft day, your, your draft board is really a, roughly, I'd say, about an average of 100 names uh, on it for those seven picks that you have. And usually when the draft is over, you still have 15 to 20 names still on that board. And the calls start to go out to those players for free agency, uh, undrafted free agent type guys. All right, before we get there, I just set the calendar for you. We're nine days out. If you were still with the Titans or any other football team, how much fluidity is in the board? Is the board done in stages? Is it uh, done in erasable ink? How do you adjust the board? How much movement is going on? Nine days out as compared to four days out as compared to uh, 48 hours out. How does the changing of the board, if any, go leading up to an NFL draft? You know, right now, the, the people outside of the football personnel, outside of the coaches, outside of the scouts, are really starting to make their mark on the board. And what I mean by that is in a couple of days, they're going to sit down with all their, their doctors, their surgeons, the, the trainers, and they're going to go over every single player that has issues. And those players may get moved off the board. Now, there may be a situation, depending on the general manager and his philosophy, 
where they end up sliding a player down. Maybe the risk or the value of that injury of the player is better in the latter rounds. And, and that's, that happens at times. Sometimes a player is completely taken off the board. So people outside the normal personnel are now having their influence on uh, these players. Outside of the, the trainers and orthopedic surgeons and, and doctors, you're going to have maybe your, your psychologist, if you have a team psychologist, which we have. You're going to sit down and go over all the players that they interviewed uh, throughout the process. Um, you're going to have the, the FBI, the, the local state uh, police reports on some of these players, and that could uh, start to change. Now, getting back to the football side of things, the changes on the board are going to be very minimal. You're going to have – you have a vertical board and you have a horizontal board, uh, what you're looking at. And vertically within the positions, you may have some slight movement, one player over another based on scheme fit, based on maybe uh, uh, a, a position coach likes this player without any kind of pushback from the area scouts that have already evaluated them. So you're going to sit down as a group, as coaches by themselves, scouts by themselves, and then group together with the coaches and scouts and start to go over those different tier groups that you may have uh, within the certain position groups. Uh, Blake, talk about the process as we get, you know, we're this close, we're, we're nine days out. This is sort of the time where people, I guess, lay the foundation about moving up or moving back. You make calls and see who's interested. How much of that is, you know, previous work, previous history versus fly by the seat of your pants on draft night if you want to move up and grab a player or move down for that matter? You know, usually that work is done uh, prior to the draft and usually a few days out. And I would always be in charge of a number of teams where there's four or five different teams that I called upon myself. Uh, maybe the pro director also had four or five teams, a director of player personnel and then the general manager. But uh, depending on your relationship with certain general managers uh, with the opposing clubs and, and that work is done a week out and you're starting to kind of lay, like you said, lay the groundwork of a potential trade, whether it's move up or move back, if their player's not sitting there. Uh, some of those conversations are done at pro days uh, where the general managers get together and have a conversation and, and start to lay that groundwork there. there. There's so much interaction between the different personnel groups with the teams that it's easy to formulate those, those type of trade scenarios, especially just through talk, uh, whether it's at a pro day or on the phone, uh, moving toward the draft. So a lot of that's done. Uh, you know who to who to pick up the phone and call if you're looking to trade out, um, and and those things are made pretty easily. Blake, let me ask you about how a board is put together, and we'll use the Eagles as an example since this is Birds 365. Uh, the Eagles have evaluations, their own evaluations of the players they have on their roster right now. This is supposed to be a historically good NFL quarterback draft, specifically at the top top five guys. Um, do the Eagles rate? The quarterbacks, even though they believe that most of them, if not all five of them, will be gone before they pick at number 12, they have a young man that they seem to be pretty confident in, want to give a shot, aren't looking to bring in competition for him. How do you use the quarterback position when putting your board together? If you're not really thinking about taking a quarterback, can you just remove where your team is at roster-wise? When ordering the players, putting them in an order, or do you have to, maybe even subconsciously, does that go through your mind as you're putting together the order of your board? 
You know, I think that's a great question, and I think that's a the answer should be you evaluate all players the same. You evaluate it whether you have a position strength on your roster right now. You should still evaluate the players the same. Once you start to tinker with those type things, that's really when you mess up the board. I've seen that happen, um, and, and what you need to do is just stay strong to your beliefs, meaning – uh, in the Eagles situation, they have a quarterback, they have a second-year player moving forward that they like and feel that he's the guy. But if they value a quarterback, whether it's a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, over a Jalen Hurts, they need to stay true to their board because maybe those other positions have come off and they're the best player available at that position. It, you can never go wrong with two solid quarterbacks if you have a player that is valued uh, over the one you currently have. If he's not, then you need to go to the next position uh, where the best player available could be. But but I think staying true to your board uh, really allows you to make the, the best picks possible. And that that's round one through seven. Uh, I really think that best player available is really really a, a strong way to uh, pick in the draft. And if you stay true to that, you're, you possibly could get a starter in the latter rounds. Thrilled to have him, Blake Bettingfield, former director of college scouting for the Tennessee Titans. If you're in Nashville, you can listen to him on occasion, one of 4.5, the game in Nashville. By the way, awesome city, Blake. Um, So everyone should visit. But I wanted to talk to you about value because obviously, you know, teams value certain positions more than others. It starts with quarterback. It could be edge rusher. It could be offensive line. How does that when when you look at the value of the position versus just the the pure traits and the pure talent of a t- particular prospect, how can that affect them? If it's a a lesser valued position, how far could he fall? You know, I think John, I, I like that question as well. And and the reason I say that there's three premium positions in the NFL: quarterback, left tackle, and pass rusher. You need those players. Very rarely do they come available in free agency. So not only are you looking to the draft and the value that the draft would have, but it's going to be hard to get those players in free agency next year if that's what you're looking for. So you have to value those positions a little bit higher than some of the others. Maybe you can get a receiver or a running back or a safety later in the draft, a depth piece on the defensive line. But if you can find a pass rusher, a three-down player, if you can find a uh, left tackle that can be your your left tackle for a number of years, and especially the quarterback position, those are paramount when you're starting to to rank players in the draft. Uh, the the ability to play those positions and play them at a high level uh, really increases their value, uh, so to speak. So you know those other positions get pushed down a little bit when you're talking about those three major. I think you already answered this question, but I guess I'm going to tie you down to the answer about uh, when you come up on the board your position in the draft, uh, according to your draft board. The Eagles are at number 12 here. Let's say when their pick comes up, their top seven guys that they have rated are all off the board. Their eighth guy is a quarterback, but they're kind of in a position to say, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to be our guy. Then the ninth guy's off the board, the tenth guy's off the board. Then there's a wide receiver, which they may look at it as a position of need. Then there's a left tackle, which they may look as a position there. Then there's a cornerback. So you've got a couple of people rated above what is your number one need. How many places on the board would you be willing to use? If you really like a kid and you're actually surprised that he's still there, will you, quote, unquote, reach to fill a need first round, second round, third round? Does it change over the course of the rounds? 
what's the acceptable number of guys that would you would skip over rather than just going hard and fast, next guy on the board, that's the guy we're taking? You know, I think it depends on the position. It depends on the strength of the position. If you're talking about receivers this year, there there's a really good top tier three players uh, that are that are up, up ranked a little bit above the others. If those three happen to get drafted, now you're looking into that group where there's a larger number of that group. You can bypass that position and now look into the second round if you're talking about receivers. And, and I'm talking about this draft in particular. But it, it's very hard to start passing over high-valued players on your board. The work is done over a year-long process, and and to to change that rule on draft day really is when uh, mistakes are created. So if a position, whether it's a quarterback or maybe a left tackle or, or what have you, is still there, and that player is valued above maybe a need position, you have to take it because at some point, that pick, if you reach – and take a player that's a lesser talented player than the value of that pick at number 12, it's going to come back and bite you at some point. may come back and bite you in that fifth year when you decline that fifth-year option because the player didn't play up to the value of that number going into the fifth year. So now, instead of getting a first-round pick for five years and that extra year that the NFL gives you, you're going to get him for four because he doesn't value that pick. So you have to think that far ahead, and I think that's when the, the, the picks are the most sound. All right, Blake, I want to take you into draft night. And you're up. You're on the board. Um, other than trading up or trading down and having those discussions with potentially other teams, uh, uh, trading down in that type of instance, um, should there be any debate at that point on the player on the board if you do have to take the pick, uh, if, if you're ready and you're going – should should there be debate in the war room when that card is ready to be handed in or that's got to be done, you know, when the draft board is set? If the process is done correctly, then no, there's no debate. If the process is 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 vetted out enough during the weeks leading up to the draft through the coaching staff, through the scouting staff, general manager, obviously, and possibly an owner. I've been in situations where the owner had a say um, that has to be done ahead of time. And if, if you're doing that, if you're making that decision within that 10 minute on the clock or five minutes on the clock, you have potential to make mistakes. Uh, right now, that, that decision should be made and, and that pick should be easy. Really, draft day outside of trade scenarios, like you mentioned, trading back or up it is really a simple process. You're hoping that players there are, are still there on the board when you're picking. But really, you're selecting players off that board that you've already vetted for an entire year. And if the conversations are had and the work is done, it should be an easy process. All right, let me keep it in a conversational mode. Leading up to the draft, like where we are right now, nine days away, everyone's feeling everyone else out. You're doing your own internal work and debating and setting the board and getting to a point where you're not having – debates slash arguments slash selling points on draft night, but you're taking in information from outside your room. How many people are actually making those calls? Is it only the general manager? Is it the head of scouting? Is it individual scouts who may have relationships with other scouts on other teams who may know the thinking of those teams who are in those prep meetings? Conversations could be everywhere. How many actually have substance that could end up with a team moving up or moving back? Is it GM only or is it a wider net than that? Uh, it depends on the, the general manager at the time. If he uh, 
allows you to to go out and kind of research and and, and do some do some uh, work outside the building, then that's a possibility. In my situation, I've always been allowed to to go out and find information. I think information leading up to the draft is so important. Whether it's you on the phone with players digging up. Because there are a lot of uh, loose lips in the NFL, and if you can call on some players, and and whether it's scouts or or personnel directors that start to tell a player they're really interested, I'm going to listen. I talk to a lot of agents at this time. Now, agents are selling their player, trying to get their player drafted higher, but I'm also going to listen to some that I've known in the business for a long period of time. I'm also going to call some college coaches, especially on the higher value players. See who's called them recently about some of the players. I'll say this. We've selected some players with the Titans where I've been on the phone with a player texting or calling and finding out some information of who's been on the phone with them recently. And we've selected some players over some other teams because of some of that information. So it's it's very important to kind of continue to do your background work continue to do uh, some kind of reconnaissance, so to speak, uh, just to um, uh, maybe help your team out with with a draft choice here or there. Blake, I want to talk to you about the 2021 process as a whole. Obviously, you're not in the weeds anymore like you once were, but it's different. I mean, even if you go back to last year when the pandemic hit, it was late in the draft process. So you had the combine, you had some of that typical stuff. This time, no combine. I, I always joke, I've never seen so many four threes in my life. Everybody's a track star in a pro days. I'm not sure how much you can trust those numbers. I'm sure you trust certain people and, and, and delve into information that way. We finally had the medical evaluations in Indianapolis. From people you talk and, and know in this league, how much more difficult has this process been for them? Very difficult. I, th- I think the teams that have veteran scouting staffs have eased through this transition a little bit, a little bit easier because uh, veteran scouts have a network of people they can call on to find out background information. If you're a young scout in this business and you were thrown on the road two years ago, good luck finding information out. College coaches are very guarded with the information that they give out. Now to a new scout without any uh, past relationship and trust built up, for that scout to call on a coach, you're going to get very minimal information. I need those net, that network of people, whether it's uh, a coach, a, a staff member, a trainer, a strength and conditioning coach, maybe a, a secretary that's been there 30 years. I need to be able to call on those people. And that's very important for, for scouts to have. So these veteran scouting staffs, uh, veteran scouts in this business really have, uh, they're a little ahead of the game than some of the younger guys that are really searching to find that network uh, of information. And, and information right now is key, uh, especially in this environment. When you have these opt-out players that haven't been on campus for over 12 months, we're talking about some high-profile players, whether it's Jamar Chase or Sewell. These guys have not been on campus in a year. Where have they been? How are you going to find out? Can you dig back to high school, their uh, academic counselors? Who has who, seen them over the past year? That's a lot of work that needs to be done. It's really outside of evaluating just a football player. All right, Blake, I'm going to ask you to put your scouting Rolodex aside and get your scouting eye out instead. Uh, we just mentioned that it's a good chance the Eagles aren't going to be uh, picking a quarterback this year at number 12. They do seem uh, committed at least for a good solid year to Jalen Hurts. We'll see about the future thereafter. 
but I'm very intrigued by this quarterback class. I'm on record as saying it is as good a quarterback class as we've had five years, 10 years, 20 years, maybe even 20, maybe got to go all the way back to 1983 to have a comparable quarterback class. I am that high on it, have been all year. How good is the class? How would you rank the five guys we all believe are coming off the board in the first round? I'm going to say the class is very good because of the person that heads up the class. I think Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. He has all the intangible qualities outside of the athletic traits. This is a guy that I think was 52-2 and two in his high school career, and I believe he what, lost three games at Clemson. This is a winner. He has a track record of success, high-level athleticism, competitor, winner. And that's what's going to tr- that's what's going to help him going forward, especially to a team like Jacksonville that has some pieces in place on offense. But he has that franchise ability. Franchise quarterbacks can carry a team with minimal players around. I think the rest of the group is a solid group. You look at uh, Zach Wilson, a lot of arm talent, a lot of ability, a lot of upside. Not a finished product by any means, but he shows the necessary traits. Um, that that really shows that he can be a good, a very good quarterback in the league. If you, if you go to the next one, Justin Fields, outstanding athlete, physical traits, has had a lot of success in winning at Ohio State. Uh, has some technical things, some fundamental things with his throwing motion that need to be cleaned up. But a high level athlete should be able to make that transition. You know, if you look at Mac Jones, probably the total opposite of Justin Fields, the very accurate, smart poised quarterback in the pocket that needs good players around him to have success, but has had that at Alabama and showed a high level of play because of that. You know, if you go to the next player, Trey Lance, a player that has sat out almost an entire year, uh, very minimal starting opportunities, but has a lot of the physical traits that you're looking for in a starting quarterback, doesn't need to be pushed into a starting job in year one, needs to sit and and be able to be groomed by a player. When I say that, and and those are things that I used to say in the scouting room, in a draft room, a player needs to be developed. Do you have that coach on staff that can develop? Not every coach is a developer. Some are X's and O's, some are good coaches, but they don't develop. So when you say that in your report as a scout, Those questions need to be answered on the other side. Every coach thinks they're a developer, but they're not. Um, And and those are very important pieces to the puzzle if you're going to take a player like Trey Lance and have him have success. You know, I like Kyle Trask as well. I think Kyle Trask is a player that can start in this league uh, for some teams, and he showed at Florida how he progressed over the last few years, beat out some other quarterbacks, and and had a high level of success at times. He just needs to show some more consistency. I like this draft class of quarterbacks. I think to be able to get a potential six quarterbacks that are starting level quarterbacks in the NFL, and the, and the NFL needs that push this year. With some of the aging quarterbacks in the league, you saw the Breeze retire, Rivers retire. The league needs starting level quarterbacks. Boy, I love that you said that, Blake, because I think so many fans think you hand in the card or in draft night and and the work is done. And you either get a good player or a bad player. I think the situation, the development of a player, the coaching staff means so much to a prospect where he lands. So I think that's a a very astute point you made. But I also want to piggyback off Jody's question about the quarterback position. So you were the director of college scouting for 20 years, the, uh, essentially with the Titans. The evolution of this game over that time frame, the quarterback position, how it's changed so much. People look for off-schedule offense. How, how much has the evaluation 
of the quarterback position changed over over your years in this industry? Oh, tremendous. I mean, it's amazing what the college game has done first to really uh, force the NFL to make changes as well. Uh, and that's positionally, but but quarterback especially. You know, when I first came into the league, the Peyton Mannings were, were what you were looking for, the pocket passer, uh, the smart quarterback that really wasn't going to uh, – move outside the pocket very much. He's just going to make throws from the pocket. Now today, I mean, you look at some of the first picks in the draft, Baker Mayfield right at six foot, Colin Murray under five, uh, 5'11", 5'10". These are smaller quarterbacks. The Drew Breeses of the world, when they came out, were considered very small, but you saw the, the, the special part of his play, but he still wasn't taken extremely high because of the lack of size. But I think he just finished a, a 18 year career. So the the evolution of the quarterback has changed tremendously. You're going to more the athlete, and what that does, it takes pressure off the quarterback to have to make all the throws from the pocket. If if you're not the and I say Peyton Manning's of the world, you know those things, those athletic traits can still give you a high level of success. Being able to move and avoid in the pocket especially pass rushes today with the, the outstanding athletes that we're seeing on the edge uh, of most uh, NFL defenses. So it's, it's changed the game a little bit, and I think it's made it more athletic and allowed more people to play the quarterback position, especially some really good athletes. Blake, appreciate your quarterback take and doing the rankings for the top five. I'm going to take you quickly to two more positions, two that I think are key because I think it could be the decision the Eagles are looking at. First things first, wide receiver. We know, uh, at least uh, most people seem to believe, it's a top three wide receiver class. Then there's a bit of a drop-off. Uh, Smith, uh, Chase, and Waddle. How would you rank the three? Is there a big difference between one and two and or then two and three? Or do you think they're close? And the two cornerbacks. Uh, chances are one will be off the board when Eagles pick. So it might not be a choice. But if both are there, what do you think the difference is between uh, Sertain and uh, the Mississippi kid? Um, how big a drop-off do you think it is between one and two? Or is it a toss-up between the two top cornerbacks? Give me your read and rating. Three wide receivers, two top QBs. You know, when I look at the receivers, I, the one thing that I struggle with with Jamar Chase is that he sat out an entire year. Why Devontae Smith's game improved. This is a guy that that went from a, a very solid player as a freshman, won the national championship game on a, on a big play. His game progressed every year to a point to where this last year he was unstoppable. I don't care what game you put him in, he was unbelievable. Um, Jalen Waddell is a special playmaker, okay? A special playmaker with a ball in his hands. What is his injury situation? What's the medical look like on that leg? He didn't look good in the, in, the, in the national championship game late in the year when they gave him an opportunity to catch a couple of passes. He has to have those legs to be that special player. We're talking about Tyreek Hill type special with a ball in his hands. Jamar Chase has that physical ability and dominance out of that 2019 season. I would rank them Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle in that, in that group. I worry about Jalen Waddle's injury. If he's if he is um, uh, healthy and he's a hundred percent to go, you really can't go wrong with either group. Now the thing is with Jamar Chase, where's he been for the last year? What has he been doing? He looked great at the pro day, so we know he's in shape right now. But what has he been doing? I, I think that's real important. I know what Devontae Smith's been doing. He won the Heisman uh, Trophy and, and a national championship. So I think that group. The, the, that three, you really can't go wrong there. If you know the background on Chase and you know the health on Waddle, 
the corner position, Patrick Sertain and, and, and Horn from South Carolina, you're talking about two really high-level athletes. Patrick Sertain is a technical, fundamental corner. He's got great size, speed, length. He can cover man. He can play in zone. He's got good ball skills. He's an outstanding tackler in, in open space. This is a guy that that prides himself on being able to make tackles on the edge and in space. That's a, that's a really good quality. J.C. Horn is a player that has a lot of upside to him. Patrick Sertain's ceiling, he's already maybe there. I mean, he may have a little bit left in him, but he is a well-developed player. Uh, J.C. Horn has a big upside because of the athleticism and length and speed that he plays with. Not near as sound technically or fundamentally as Sertain walking into the to the facility day one, but has a big upside. I like Sertain. I like Horn. I don't think you can go wrong with either. I think Sertain is a plug-and-play player, uh, very similar to what uh, the Ravens took with Marlon Humphrey. Uh, you're talking about a player that can play inside out, probably better on the outside, but he's going to be a day-one starter. Horn's going to be a day-one starter just because he's going to be the best athlete in the room. Tremendous intel from Blake Bettingfield, the former director of college scouting for the Tennessee Titans. Last one for me, Blake, but I want everyone to check out Blake at bettingfieldsports.com. Writes for Paul Kucharski.com. He's a great reporter that's covered the Titans for a very long time. 104.5 to zone in Nashville as well. Uh, Blake, you mentioned Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase. You know what Devontae Smith has been doing. Interesting part of this information gathering process. A lot of these guys who opted out, there's this new cottage industry, whether it's Chuck Smith working with pass rushers or Quincy Avery working with quarterbacks. You have these personal tutors. In some ways, can that be better uh, as, as, as preparation for the next level, the NFL, versus, you know, just playing a reg regular college schedule where you're prepping for college teams, or is that information just too hard to sort of factor in? You know, maybe it's just me being a, a scout for 20 years, and, and I'm, I love the old way of doing things. I like to watch football games. I like to see how they compete. I can see athletes, John, and and see a move and and look good. And, and, and I see a player that goes to some of these facilities. They have nutritionists. They gain weight. They look better. What are they really when they're outside of that facility? I like to see when they're in their college environment, meaning they're going to classes. They have other parts of their life that they're doing. What, what do they look like then? Um, you know, when they're at these facilities, they have everything. They have trainers. They have massage therapists. They have nutritionists. Like I said, they're working out on specific drills. I think it can be good to develop a game, but you have to ask the question, who's developing them? Who is that person that's that expert that's teaching them? Are they teaching them what the coaches on the NFL level are teaching them now? Even the coaches on a high-level Power 5 program in college can teach them. Uh, are they doing their own thing that they were they learned 15, 20 years ago when they played? That's okay, but you have to be able to answer those questions. I always think scouting is a series of questions you ask yourself, um, and, and there's a lot of questions to be answered when you're talking about an opt-out player. Um, we're going to see if those players tend to drop in this draft. I think teams are going to be a little hesitant on some, especially if you have some background issues. If you have some previous background issues, you're probably going to drop in the draft further than what your value of your talent is. And I, and I think that's when you're not around that college environment with, with the people that can help you, um, I think it's only going to uh, really lend itself to more uh, uneasy situations for general managers when they select those type players.
Blake, you've been doing this for a long time. So you know one of the changes of the NFL draft is the setup. It used to be. I got there early on Saturday mornings, many a year, in the Felt Forum at Madison Square Garden when we did uh, day one on Saturday, day two on Sunday, done. Now it's a three-day affair with only one round, first round, on that uh, first night, starting at 8 p.m. So the timing of the draft has changed. This may be the most important question we can ask. What's the food situation like? <laughs> How much eating goes on before the draft? What time are you allowed to eat? Is food allowed into the draft room? You guys have to get some sustenance because you got a lot of work to do. But how does the now in 2021 food intake break down on draft night? The food intake is is fantastic, and 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 I was always I never wanted to eat. Uh, my suit was always a little tight anyway, and if I ate it, it was only going to get worse. Um, but there was a lady uh, by the name of Penny that always she was just a fan of the of the Titans, a great fan, and she would make uh, a pizza roll for myself, and it was phenomenal. And I always ate her pizza roll. Now we had a catering uh, company that was fantastic, but they usually serve very heavy food. It's great ribs and barbecue and that type of thing but i was stuffed and couldn't even uh sit down in my chair for the whole first for the whole first round so i had to learn to kind of moderate what i was eating but the food situation there's a lot of it and uh and and you can have your pick but uh, miss penny was somebody that uh I, I relied upon on draft day hope you have a good meal coming up uh nine days from now when the nfl draft kicks off we appreciate your being part of our draft coverage leading up to the 2021 draft thank you much for hopping on board we will touch base again down the road i love talking football love talking draft this is a great time of year thanks for having me thanks blake Bettingfield, former uh, head of college scouting for the tennessee titans here with us on birds 365 all right quick timeout come back Johnny Mac and I will put a bow on the show. You're listening to Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media Network. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The, the, the middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that, that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very few sounds of purity. That's oh. as pure as it gets. Oh. I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave. Take a nap. Go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. 
The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Back for the final seg of Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media Channel. Jody McDonald, uh, my buddy John McMullen. If you're enjoying the show, if you've just found us, you've been here since day one as we're now into week three of Birds 365, do me a favor. Share us with your YouTube friends. Get the word out about Birds 365. Should be great conversation leading up to the draft, and then we'll do it all year long for you right here. Talking Birds football. We thank our uh, scouting uh, pal for hopping on with us. Let me ask you this, J-Mac. The thing that I saw, that, that I heard and saw, because we had him up on the stream, uh, that, that really rung true for me with the upcoming Eagles draft is physical concerns. Um, he put the three wide receivers in a specific order. You know, I like them because I'm as big a uh, Smith fan as I am, and I think you win the Heisman Trophy, that kind of says something. No, Jamar Chase has all the physical gifts. He's probably physically more gifted. Well, I know he's physically more gifted than Devonta Smith, but Devonta has a better resume for me. And he's worried about Jalen Waddle because he had the injury that he had this year, came back, uh, didn't play much in the championship game. But I give him credit for making it back. Um, the team should have serious concerns about injuries. The Eagles, with their e injury history, our buddy M. Ray's pointed this out, and I was thinking the same exact thing on uh, the uh, stream here. The Eagles need to be very careful on who they draft and their injury history because the Eagles seem to be a place where players go to become more injured or continue their injury history. How much of a factor do you think that is for the Birds in this upcoming draft with their 11 pick. We know they're not making all the picks, but they're going to have plenty. How much do, do they, how much should they factor in injury history in the guys that they take? Oh, it's huge. It, it, you know, one reason, Jody, I wanted to have Blake on. I, I've been talking about this for years. I, I don't think fans understand how focused these draft boards are. And it's one thing for me to say it, uh, to hear it from somebody who's been in these rooms. And Blake told you, hey, we're getting this thing down to 100 players. Now, with the Eagles, they have 11 picks. They have more picks, probably up to like 125, I would say. It's going to be somewhere in that range. You know, one one name Eagles fans, I'm sure you constantly hear when you're on uh, terrestrial radio, Jody, is DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf, because he's turned into such a great player in Seattle. Well, guess what? He had medical red flags. A lot of teams didn't have him on his board, on their boards. He wasn't on the Eagles' boards. He wasn't even in the equation because they ruled him out for medical concerns. 
that that's you know one of the reasons as i said i wanted to get blake on was to take people inside the process and understand when you pick up uh that draft magazine i have lindy's right here which by the way i did the eagles portion so cheap plug for me so um when you pick up that and see 450 players whatever it is that's not who's in the pool and medical red flags is a huge, huge part of that. We, we, you mentioned the two cornerbacks. Two cornerbacks used to be three cornerbacks. You know, right. at the beginning of this process, Caleb Bartley, a lot of people had him as cornerback one, but he had back surgery. So he's going to be red flagged by a lot of teams. No question. Right. So that, that gets kind of the, the, the question I'm trying to ask. The Eagles have had at least in my estimation, compared to the 31 other teams in the National Football League, maybe more injury issues, certainly more than average, maybe more than most other teams in the National Football League. Shoot, you can judge that by the fact that they've had such turnover in their medical staff and their training staff and the like. They acknowledge that they've had some issues. Are the Eagles a team that's less likely to take a chance on a player with injury history because of their own history? Or are they going to fly in the face of, yeah, we've had injury problems, but we could get real value. We could get the DJ Metcalf because people will have written them off because of injury history. How do you think the Eagles enter this draft at dealing with, handling with, ranking, and putting on boards players with injury history? Well, two things. Number one, they didn't change the medical staff because of injuries. They changed the medical staff because Howie was checking phones about leaking information. Uh, that's number one. Number two, okay. uh, number two, and then the second change had to do with they hired Arstar Donata, who was the current uh, chief medical officer of the Eagles. They let him come in for a year. Uh, and and sort of evaluate the process. Then he brought in his own people. So it had nothing to do with injuries. They have had injuries, however. They have had injury issues. But that has more to do with age than anything else. So when you're talking about 21, 22-year-old kids, they're not worried about them coming back from uh, relatively minor injuries. So it, it is, you know, it's, as I mentioned, DK Metcalf, if you have a significant California, if you have a significant injury, everybody is concerned about backs in the case of, 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 of Barley. You know, that's a very tricky injury. That's where you get more concerned. I would say because of their reputation, human nature, people do think the Eagles have more injuries than other teams. People do think they fired the medical staff for incompetence, even though it isn't true. That's the narrative out there. I think that would make them a little bit more susceptible to be careful and, and to rule out certain guys. But in the case of DK Metcalf, that could hurt you as well as help you. Right. You never know. Sometimes you get value because of injuries. Sometimes you get buried because of injuries. Uh, will the Eagles be a rolling the dice type team in this year's upcoming draft? We're going to have to wait another week plus to actually find out. J-Mac, good show today. Uh, we got Michael K from NJ.com hopping aboard with us tomorrow. Uh, maybe we'll get some new news between now and then. 
I appreciate your booking, uh, Blake Bettingfield, for us. He was great. Uh, we'll certainly get more draft guys coming up over the next nine days as well. And yeah, thanks yeah. to Jeff Moser real quick as well, InsideTheBirds.com. But, uh, yeah, another great show of uh, Birds 365 in the books, Jody well, All we have to do is get Moser to change the spelling of his first name, and we'll get That's him on true. more often. He's got to be more of a JM than a GM. We have a GM. He's Howie Roseman. And he was uh, screamed at at the Phillies game last night that he should be fired. We'll see if we fire him tomorrow here on Birds 365. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Again, if you're following us on the uh, Jacob Media YouTube channel, feel free to share us with all your friends. We're trying to grow the community a little bit. Appreciate a helping hand with that. Be back here tomorrow on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.